This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. We'll be this morning continuing a series that we're working through as a church on our mission and vision. And uh, so I'm excited that you're here for that. Usually we are preaching through a book of the Bible. We've been working through the book of Genesis. Next week, Lord willing, Sam Webb will be preaching from Ephesians 5, and then we'll be back in our series through Genesis. But we've wanted to stop and to, to work through this series with you as the elders have been praying and, and thinking about uh, our, our, our goals and mission and vision as a church. And so that's where we'll be together um, today and some more as the Lord opens that, opens up opportunity for us. So let's pray and then we'll uh, think about these things together. Lord, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be here and to worship you. Lord, I know that each person that is gathered is here by your hand for a particular purpose. And you are doing a thousand, thousands upon thousands of things in in each of our lives. And we're aware of so few of them. And so we pray that as as we meditate, Lord, on who you are, that we would be again amazed and humbled and eager, Lord, to, to know you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for making us in your image. Thank you for redeeming us while we were yet enemies. Thank you for making a way for us to know you through Jesus. Thank you for an empty tomb. Thank you for a body of saved, believing, sent disciples called University Park Baptist Church. Lord, we pray you would direct us. Lord, that you would do more with these words on a page than we could ever do or ask. That you would lead us in faithfulness. Lord, that you would continue to address sin and selfishness and let us be regular repenters and believers and and those that are eager to follow you and to be a faithful witness here in Southwest Houston and to the ends of the earth. May our message be faithful. We pray that you would lead us in that. We ask for your help now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I wonder what's on your to-do list this week. You may not be a list-making person. Um, I am a list-making person. I have a to-do list. But in some way, shape, or form, you're filtering through the daily and weekly and monthly, longer-term goals, projects, tasks in your life, and you're seeking to prioritize them somehow, whether it's on a piece of notebook paper or a fancy app. Some of you may try to hold those things in your head and Praise God for you. Um, I can't do that. I, I never get my to-do list done. In some ways, it's discouraging. In other ways, it's humbling. It's humbling to know that I think only God is the one who gets his to-do list done each day, each week. But by prioritizing what we do, what we give ourselves to, what we say no to, those decisions have to be driven by something. 
And I don't know about you, but often my life, those decisions in my life are driven by urgency. There's a deadline. I'm behind. Something is burning down in my life that needs to be extinguished. It's in my face. That is often how I operate. But there is another category of things on my list, and I would just classify those as important things. Sometimes they overlap, the important and the urgent overlap, sometimes not. But these are things that I know are tied up with my calling in life from God and my responsibilities. So they have specific things to do with me as a disciple of Jesus Christ and as a husband to my wife, Alicia, and as a father to to Caroline and Brayton and Caleb and Adlin, and as a pastor to University Park Baptist Church as one of the elders at UPBC. But so often the urgent... The immediate can crowd out the important in my life. We can be kept from the important things by other good things, sometimes by bad things, but usually by urgent things. Maybe you can relate to that. And so how do we keep the important things, the most important things in our life, in the proper place? How can we justify spending time on something that's important but maybe isn't burning down at the moment, maybe isn't urgent, like prayer, like thinking about long-term where we're headed in life? I think that is part of the purpose and value of vision. Having both a personal and corporate as a church vision helps us to operate out of a place that says, this is why I'm here. This is what we do. This is who we are. Instead of just doing things to do them because we've always done them or my inbox tells me I have to do them, we only have so much time. Seeking to live like this isn't new. Uh, You could think about uh, William Wilberforce, for example, the great social reformer who brought an end to the slave trade and then eventually slavery in the British Empire. He had two great objectives in his life, the reformation of morals and the end of the slave trade. Everything in his life, day to day, month to month, year by year, was filtered through these two realities. Jonathan Edwards created 70 resolutions at the age of 19, That served kind of as his own personal mission statement for life. And it just gave him incredible focus and direction in his life. That's what we're after. So that we can say, as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's our heart. As a church, we're working through a series of sermons on our mission and vision for this very reason. We want to be giving ourselves to the most important things, the main things, because life is short. We only have so much time, energy, money, breath. And Paul doesn't say dabble in this or that, dabble in the things of the Lord, be balanced, survive, make sure you survive and exist, pay your pastor. Do programs. He says, abound in the work of the Lord. For that labor bears fruit that is eternal. It is not in vain. 
And that implies some labor is in vain. So Paul's saying, don't waste your life. Don't waste this moment that we have together. We don't know how long it'll be as a church in this place to labor in the good work that Jesus has given us to do. I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste this. I want to utilize it for the glory of God. It is too precious and too much is at stake. That's why we're talking about mission and vision. If you missed the first sermon, you can find it online. I would encourage you to go back and listen and, and, or watch it uh, when you can. We began with who we are as a church. And uh, we said, and you can see this, I think, on the slide above, that University Park Baptist Church is a redeemed people gathered together by the grace of God for the glory of God. That's who we are. And then we went through kind of the overview of our, our vision. This is another slide that you'll see as a church using these kind of four M words uh, of mission and, and message and ministry and motivation. Uh, I think you should think of these as like a, like a grid, like, like something that we're going to be shooting at. And you're, so this isn't going to be the only time that you, you hear about these four M's. These are going to be things that are going to be regularly occurring in our, in our preaching schedule, in our Sunday school time, in our, in our small groups, things that you'll, we'll, we'll try to engage you with and think about and come back to over and over again. The focus last time was on our mission and we said uh, we didn't need to come up with a mission. Jesus has given us the mission already. He, he told it to us in the Great Commission, make disciples. And in the Great Commandments, love God, love your neighbor. But, but having said that, we, we still see great value in just thinking through the way that that is applied in our specific context. So we, we, we came up with a statement um, that our mission is to be faithfully urgent in making and maturing disciples as we preach the gospel from Southwest Houston to the ends of the earth. That's our mission. We pray that that statement captures the heart of, of what Jesus calls us to as a church and also that tension between faithfulness and fruitfulness, being urgent in the, the means of gospel ministry, ordinary means of grace, regularly following Jesus while trusting God for the results. And today I wanna just address that second M that deals with our message our message. And here's in a sentence what that is. This is the main point of the sermon today. Our message is that God is, God speaks, God saves, and God sends. God is, God speaks, God saves, and God sends. Beloved, we have something to say. We have news to tell. Uh, we've said before that, that faithfulness is a little bit like being a mailman, where we don't, we don't take out the message and rewrite it. We simply are faithful to deliver it. But the message is incredible. It is like someone has won the lottery and we are delivering that message to them. It is that weighty, that important. They're, they should be that eager to hear it. We are an evangelical church. And I don't know what comes to your mind when I say that, but here's what I mean by that. The root word in that word is the word evangel, which is the word for good news. And so to say that we are evangelical means that there is a message, good news, that we must believe in order to be saved, and then that others must believe in order to be saved. That necessitates us going out and sharing that message, doing evangelism. Okay, we are evangelical in that sense. 
the main point of this life and our message then is God. It starts and ends with God. So we want to start where Paul is moving to conclude at the first end of the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans when he says in Romans eleven thirty three, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. So the first part of our message as a church is simply this. God is. God is. Someone treated, tweeted, treated, tweeted recently, when did vision and mission statements replace confessions of faith and church covenants in the local church? I think that's a good question. There's a sense, sense in which a vision statement could be dangerous. It could change with cultural winds. It could be heavily influenced by the business world, otherworldly agendas. But I want you to know that we are intentionally seeking to root our mission and vision in the scriptures and have that work right alongside our already established statement of faith, what we believe, and our church covenant, how we agree to live and walk out that doctrine that we have agreed to believe. So here's an article from our statement of faith entitled, Of the True God. You'll see it here on the screen. We believe that there is one and only one living and true God, an infinite, intelligent spirit, the maker and supreme ruler of heaven and earth, inexpressibly glorious in holiness and worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love. That in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, equal in every divine perfection and executing distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. Our goal, our purpose, our desire as a church is to know this God. And to see every other person on the planet, from our city to the most unreached part of the globe, come to know him and love him. If our message as a church is centered around anything other than God, it would be futile and ultimately meaningless because there is futility and emptiness and darkness apart from God. Knowing God is unlike knowing anyone that you've ever known before. It's not because he's not knowable, he is knowable, but because he is not like us. Did you notice the way that the statement worded it? He is inexpressibly glorious. Words fail us to describe him. We cannot ever fully know, fully express, fully expound on the greatness and holiness and majesty of God. We will spend eternity trying and never ultimately get there. How do you preach a sermon on God? How do you write a textbook or a chapter in a textbook on God? Those books exist and I would encourage you to read them, buy them, read them, borrow them. They will blow your minds. 
Just glance at a systematic theology section on the doctrine of God, and you'll, you'll come across things like how we know about God's existence and, and his knowability, his attributes, his character, how God is Trinity, God in creation, God's providence, God working miracles. You see how we could do sermon series on each one of those things and never be done. So lower your expectations for this sermon. But I just want to mention one attribute of God this morning, one thing, his independence. I think that's kind of what we're getting at when we say that God is. He is independent. Uh, Wayne Grudem defines his independence as this. God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. Sometimes this is referred to as God's self-existence, his aseity, from the Latin, from himself. God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 3.14 as I am who I am. You could also translate that. Uh, Grudem notes as I will be what I will be. God's existence and character are determined by God alone. He is in no way, shape or form, dependent upon anyone or anything else. And that, friends, is a great message for a very man-centered, me-centered world. God is. He did not create us because he was lonely or because he was bored. He is complete. He is sufficient. He is total. He is not our cosmic butler who was waiting around wondering what we would do and if we would like him or not. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world in its fullness are mine. Psalm 50, verse 12. Grudem puts it this way, and I quote, God necessarily exists in an infinitely better, stronger, more excellent way. The difference between God's being and ours is more than the difference between the sun and a candle, more than the difference between an ocean and a raindrop, more than the difference between an Arctic ice cap and a snowflake, more than the difference between the universe and the room that we're sitting in. God's being is qualitatively different. He is the creator. All else is creaturely. All else can pass away in an instant. He necessarily exists forever. God is. Understand that, friend. No matter what you think about him, he is. Whether you serve him, love him, hate him, reject him, he is. He is holy. He is your creator. He is your judge. And he is your redeemer. He is good. He is sovereign. He is beautiful and righteously vengeful. Whether you believe in him or not, he is God. And our unbelief in him says more about us than it does about God. Can you imagine rejecting the one who made you? Can you imagine acting as if he doesn't matter? The one who, who spoke the world into existence. The one who made you perfectly wrote all of your days before they were lived out, even one, and acting as if he doesn't matter or if he doesn't exist. Psalm 14, one, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. 
They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. God is not intimidated when people speak against him or rebel and ignore his word. He is. That's a way that he's not like us. I'm not like that. When people critique me, people reject me, I take that a lot differently. I think, man, what did I do wrong? How can I get better? Those are not God's thoughts. So friends, our message begins with God because we are naturally inclined to minimize who he is. And we're naturally separated from him by our sin. We need to be reconciled to him because he's the beginning and the end. And he has created us, as Isaiah 43, 7, for his glory. Even though he didn't need us, he made us. And even when he could have watched the world burn because of sin, he didn't. He revealed himself to us. That's the second part of our message. So God is, number one. Number two, God speaks. God speaks. The same God that spoke creation into being speaks powerful, understandable, life-giving words to us. And here we're thinking specifically of God's revelation to us in the scriptures. We don't need the Bible to know that God exists. In Romans 1, Paul argues that everyone knows there is a God already. Like Psalm 14, he says there is a moral component to someone's unbelief. They are suppressing the truth. They ignore it, deny it, but it's there. It's plain to them. Romans 1, 19. His invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world. They are without excuse. The sky above shows his handiwork. Psalm 19. So we don't need the Bible to know that there is a God, but we need it to know God, to know ourselves and to know how to be reconciled to God. So the revelation that Paul speaks of in Romans 1, what's going on there in the early part of Psalm 19 is referred to as general revelation. The revelation of God in Scripture is referred to as specific or special revelation. Here's what our church believes about that revelation. You see that on the screen as well, of the Scriptures. We believe that the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction that it has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter, that it reveals the principles by which God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. All the things that I said earlier about who God is, guess where I got those things? (laughs) From the Scriptures. That's why this article matters so much. Because God has told us things about himself in the scriptures. We believe that God is the author of the scriptures and therefore they are without error. Men were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote the words that God revealed. And so we can rest assured that, that the lists of the, of the books that are in our Bible referred to as the canon are the ones God has intended for us to have through historical investigation, through their own self-attestation of divine authorship. These 66 books in our Bibles are God's word and that canon is closed. No other word, no other revelation is needed or necessary. The rubber meets the road. 
that part where it says the Bible is our standard for human conduct, creeds, and opinions. In other words, it is authoritative. It is from God, and it is an authoritative word for us. It's the, it's the, the source of the church's authority, the authority of the congregation that, that we have together, the authority of the elders that teach and rule well. It's all according to the word of God. We don't say, to me, God is like. To me, the church is this. We, we say the Bible says. Friends, that's what we sing. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Okay, somebody. <laughs> Don't we have a word from God to give to a world in rebellion? We do. We have something to say. The scriptures dictate what we believe about God, about man. God has made it so clear. So when we talk about sin, we go to the scriptures. When we think about church polity, yes, the scriptures, we go there. When we think about addressing cultural issues of our day, we go to the scriptures for human sexuality, the meaning of marriage, what sin is, what the gospel is, what the political issues of our day are and how we should think about them in an upcoming election. We don't have authority to change the book that God has given us. We stand on it as God's truth or we don't stand at all. So beloved, God has spoken to us in his word. This is why our regular practice at this church will always be preaching from the Bible, as I'm not currently doing that right now, but you need to trust me and know that our regular, regular diet will be expositional preaching, taking a text, explaining it and applying it. You can ask someone who's near you. That's normally what we do. That's what we mean to do. That's, that's our curriculum for Sunday school. What should it be? The Bible? What should we study? The Bible? What about with our youth? What about with our college students? What about with our men and women? What do they need? The Bible. They need the word of God. The Bible is our manual for counseling, for discipleship. The Bible is where we turn when we are wondering who should be a deacon, who should be an elder. Does the Bible speak to that? How should we order the church? How should we practice church membership and, and church discipline? And especially, how can we know and love God? How are we, we, we speak a lot about unity. How can we be unified? Our statement of faith says, we believe the Bible is the true center of Christian union. We're unified by the word God has given us about himself. Friend, are you giving yourself to knowing God through his word? Do you believe God has spoken in his word? And are you giving yourself to that word? What place does it have in your life, your daily life, in your family, the people that are, you're regularly interacting with, your children, your friends, your spouse? Is it leading you to prayer? Is it leading you to go to God with your need? Because God not only speaks, he listens. That's not just KSBJ's slogan, right? He listens to prayer. And that is gonna be a pillar for us as a church, coming to God in prayer, as we see in our need for it in the scriptures, in our regular gatherings, praying, asking God to do what we cannot do, 
to open our eyes. God's revelation in his word is beautiful. It is sufficient. It is sufficient for life and godliness. And it points us to the greatest and fullest revelation of God, and that's in Jesus Christ. That's the next pillar in our message as a church. God is, God speaks, and now, number three, God saves. There's good news. God's Revelation contains both the truth about our sin before God and his merciful work of redemption. The final word is a word of hope. Uh, Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Aren't you glad that God didn't just tell us that he exists and then tell us what to do? He did do that. He did reveal himself in the word, and he has given us direction what to do in the law. None of us could do it. None of us have been able to do it. Our our sin is that permeating, that devastating. So more than telling us, he came for us. The heir of the world through whom the world was created came. The radiance of the Father's glory, the exact imprint of his nature came born of a virgin, to live a life that was pleasing to his father, a life of love and holiness, obedience and sacrifice. The life Adam and every son and daughter of Adam have not lived. Jesus lived that life and then he laid it down as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he rose from the grave. Our statement of faith puts it like this, of the way of salvation. We believe that the salvation of sinners is holy of grace through the mediatorial offices, means he's a, he's a mediator, through the mediatorial offices of the Son of God, who by the appointment of the Father freely took upon him our nature, yet without sin, honored the divine law by his personal obedience and by his death made a full atonement for our sins, that having risen from the dead, he is now enthroned in heaven and uniting in his wonderful person, the tenderest sympathies with divine perfections. He is every way qualified to be a suitable, a compassionate, and an all-sufficient Savior. There's nothing better than the gospel. There's nothing we're more excited about here at University Park Baptist Church than the gospel. We don't need a class to, to, to show us how to do evangelism because here it is. I love Pit Room. It's a great barbecue in Houston. I recommend that you go. The chicken taco at Pit Room is ridiculous. They melt cheese on this little griddle and they put it on. It is unreal. But I don't need a class to tell you how good it is, right? When I go to that restaurant, I don't need a class for me to recommend somebody get the chicken taco. I'm like, dude, have you had the chicken taco? It is ridiculous. No one has to coach me in that. I love it. I'm excited about it. I want you to be excited about it. Nothing better than the gospel. That's our banner that God saves. He does not count our sins 
against us. There is hope for anyone who would turn from their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ. Believe that he died and rose again on the third day. Would you trust him as your savior? Would you taste and see that the Lord is good? He's our redeemer. He's our king. That's who we're following. We want you to follow him. He is a good king. Following him is where you'll find true joy. We want to obey all that he taught us and help others to obey. And by others, we want to begin right here in the local church. So we are saved, reconciled with God, into the family of God, into the family of the local church, into the family that is his body, the new covenant community of Christ. I'll say more about this when we get to the, the M of ministry, but just consider what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 18. You may jot that down. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's this picture of extension of, of Jesus' authority over to the apostles and then by extension to the, the, to the church of binding and loosing. That's like this rabbinic language of authority, of assessment, Jesus later repeats that same phrase of the keys of the kingdom, binding and loosing. In Matthew 18, the context there is, the, is church discipline. Tell it to the church. Same thing, same phrases are there. And then in Matthew 28, again, he's gonna talk about authority. In the Great Commission, to his disciples, go, go make disciples and baptize in my name. So he is bestowing authority to the church to make disciples, affirm those disciples by baptizing them and in, in, in also removing those that are either false professors or in unrepentant sin. So he means for his disciples not only to be saved, but then to be gathered in this thing called the local church. It's in the church that we corporately witness to the person and work of Christ. We can't corporately witness on our own. We have to do that with others. The church is his body, his bride. Friend, are you saved? Are you redeemed? Do you know the grace of God? Believe on Jesus. And if you are a Christian, are you a member of a local church? Would it make sense to be united to Christ eternally and then neglect his body here and now? That's not a peripheral matter. When Paul was persecuting Christians, Jesus appeared to him in Acts chapter nine and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not Christians, not the church, me. And the takeaway there is to persecute Christians, is to persecute Jesus. Persecute the church, persecute Jesus. Neglect the church, neglect Jesus. Marginalize the church, marginalize Jesus. We're saved into his body. So friend, let me encourage you to join a church. And it's in these churches across the world that are the means for reaching the world. And that's the last part of our message. Number four, God is, God speaks, God saves. Finally, God sins, God sins. As we've studied the book of Genesis together, we've seen both the fall of man, the promise of redemption, both through the promise of the seed of the woman and the promise to Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. Abraham's greater son, 
would come to bring the light of God's salvation to the ends of the earth. Friends, God never intended redemption to end with Israel. Isaiah 49, 6, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. That's in the Old Testament. Jesus said, we're to make disciples of all nations, all peoples. Listen to our benediction today as it's read over you. I hope that'll just be a reminder to you of the connection between knowing and following Jesus. When he says in John 20, 21, he said to his disciples, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. See the connection? There's no version of Christianity that does not go, that looks inwardly only, that neglects lostness, whether it's in our neighborhood or in the 1040 window. There's only faithfulness or disobedience. Whether you like our church's mission statement or not, that's fine, but you need to make sure you know and understand God's mission statement from Habakkuk 2.14 that says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It not might be, he's not praying for that, he's not striving for that. It will be filled with people who know and love and give glory to the Lord in heaven Every tongue and tribe and nation will be represented in worshiping the king. So friends, a lot of things that, you know, fear works on us in different ways. A lot of things that, that maybe I think about like, man, if this happened at our church, it'd be really bad. You know, church split or, or other things that, that happened. Um, one of the things that scares me most is business as usual. Keeping the lights on me collecting a salary and us all just going through life, ignoring the reality of how many people plunge into hell every single minute of every single day. We are sent to get the gospel out. Don't you wanna go out guns blazing? Loving our city, loving our neighborhood, strategizing and thinking about how we can best do that. And then boldly acting, spending our resources, our time. God has sent us here in this immediate context. Where else would we want to be? Start today. Invite your lost friend to church, to your home for a meal to pray with them. Friend, is there a more urgent matter than this? Picture your lost friends, coworkers, neighbors, family members. You are sent into their lives providentially by God. And we are sent to the nations. We are the nations. We're not home base for God. We are the nations, number one. And we want to always be thinking and caring about unreached peoples. We may not do it perfectly, but we must be giving and we must be going. As Paul Washer put it, we either go down into the dark well or we hold the rope for those who do, but we don't sit around and do nothing. This is now. We're raising the alarm. Three billion unreached people. 
every day, going into a Christless torment, every hour, what are we going to do? Let Paul's questions from Romans 10 just fall fresh on your soul. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him whom they've never believed? How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Some things are urgent. Some things are important. Some things are both urgent and important. Our desire with this mission for the elders is to keep our focus there. On our message, God is. God speaks. God saves. And God sins. That's who we are. If you want to distill that into some some pillars of importance or, or core values, here's a list of those. If you're just thinking through what those might be, here's six of them. What does that church care about? What does that church love? Well, we love the scriptures. We love the scriptures. That's how we know God. We want to always have a focus on the scriptures. They are sufficient for life. We love the gospel. That's how we're reconciled with God and each other. That's how we do life together. That's our banner. We love the church. God's people. Meaningful membership gathered together to reach the world. We want to be about prayer. We want that to be our lifeline, to abide in the vine, ask God to do more than we can ask or imagine. We are sent. We're sent into our city here in Southwest Houston. We want to be good neighbors here, and we are sent to the nations, to the unreached peoples of the world. We want to give and we want to go. Would you just pray with us? Would you join us in this? Would you consider this as you think about the to-do list of your life? Pray that in these things, the Lord would make us steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together and we pray that you would allow us to process afresh and anew, Lord, who you are and the miracle of creation and the miracle that you have reached out to us in our sin and the glorious gospel. Lord, would you just do a work of renewal, gospel renewal in our midst where we can't help but tell others We can't help it. We are so enthralled with the gospel. We can't help but share and love. Would you do that, Lord? We pray that would overflow into the folks around this church and on that campus nearby. And Lord, it would make its way to Pakistan where people are struggling right now with floods. And more than that, the flood of darkness the gospel famine that is there. Lord, help us just to be faithful in these things. Help us to be arrested, Lord, by your person and presence, your vision. We love you and we ask you that you would do these things among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.